0: It's June, it's hot, and that can mean only one thing. It's Prime Festival season, and we will feature our very first summer festival on the show this week, specifically the WC Handy Blues and Barbecue Festival in downtown Henderson. Folks, it's as close as next week, and we don't want you to miss a nanosecond of it. Committee member Doran Luck will be here with the delicious and exciting details about food vendors, shows, artists, you name it. He's got it. And we'll find out about it in probably about a half hour or so after we finish up our discussion that we started last week with Rick Bobkus. He is a remarkable individual who, for a little over three decades, served as an instructor of the visually impaired in the Owensboro Public Schools. He is totally blind himself, of course, and we will complete his impressive story as well. So strap yourself in for a smoking, savory edition of Blabbing in the Bluegrass. It's episode three of season three, and it starts right now. a fit for every taste. Precious time is not to waste. From Thelma to Nancy to Inez to Lola to Alexandria, we cover all the towns with female names and far beyond here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, cause after all, we explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore. Coming at you from the spacious and spectacular North Quail Motel in gorgeous Henderson, KY. Today is an exciting day on the show. Not that every other day on the show isn't, but we are featuring our very first festival of hopefully many throughout this summer and fall, and we are continuing a very fascinating story on my good friend Rick Bogus. And if you missed the first part of our conversation last week, you owe it to yourself to backtrack and listen because uh, you'll get some very interesting background information on this impressive guy who served for 33 years as a visually impaired instructor in the Owensboro Public Schools. He is blind as well and where we pick up today he is comparing the manner in which he learned braille to the manner in which his students learned braille after he started teaching. We will also find out about his support group known as Savvy That stands for Support Alliance for the Visually Impaired. I actually became a part of that group not long ago, so we'll get the 411 there. And finally, we will hear his advice for blind and visually impaired individuals in pursuit of their goals and dreams, regardless of what these goals and dreams might be. So afterwards, of course, we will dive into the WC Handy Blues and Barbecue Festival. With Doran Luck, of course, that's downtown Henderson. Next week, it has been a fixture in the community of Henderson for three decades. Believe it or not, it's still going strong. In fact, it's only building steam. So we'll find out about the uh, food, the fun, the artists, the activities planned that just can't be beat. Whether you're in Henderson, outside of Henderson, far beyond Henderson, it is well. Worth a trip, and we'll make sure that we welcome you with open arms, and you won't be disappointed in uh, what you see and hear. Bet your bottom dollar on that. Also, let me remind you that you can email me with any of your thoughts on the show, good, bad, or indifferent. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com is my email address. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. Of course, there's my Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. I invite you to like and follow it. You can catch all of my previous episodes that way. Also, stay up to date with information as it is presented. Make comments and leave messages. Don't forget, you can also listen and subscribe absolutely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. So, don't forget to take advantage of those avenues as well. We've got lots of interesting dialogue and discussion Coming your way, so I don't want to dilly-dally too much, but I do have another Bluegrass Brain Buster that we need to reveal. We will reveal the answer, of course, at the conclusion of today's show. But did y'all know that Kentucky is home to the world's largest free-swinging bell? I want you to name this free-swinging bell and identify the community in which it is located. Okay, so name the world's largest free-swinging bell, which happens to be located in Kentucky, and I also want you to identify the community in which it is located. Brainstorm, get the wheel spinning, I will give you the answer in the program's final segment. Good luck. Bladden in the Bluegrass proudly presents an exceptional educator. What were some of the uh, most notable differences between the way your Braille reading students uh, learned Braille, and the way you learned Braille as a child.
1: Well, as 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 particularly in later years, you know, you have things like electronic uh, displays, uh, games, and things that you know that are out there that can can help at least motivate you to to read. Whereas, and there was when I first started Braille basically the series that were used were, you know, uh, existing series that were used in the um, uh, regular classrooms. You know, they would use the readers, you know, reading series that maybe was used in a public school system. Uh-huh. Over time, uh, the American Printing House in Louisville was involved among other places, but that's one that comes to mind. They had a a braille reading series called Patterns that was used a lot for teaching braille. Patterns. Um, and the good thing about it is the, they could take into account the difficulty of, uh, you know, there've been studies to show like what braille patterns people have trouble learning. Um, mm-hmm. There are studies, uh, but the other thing that would happen is since it was developed, you know, if if you just take a, sh- a book off the shelf and and um, and and braille it, you may end up with signs that you, uh, s- you know, abbreviations and because braille is um, has you know for example M stands for more, uh, right. K stands for knowledge with the contractions and the short form words which is basically. Um, words like uh, dot five Q is the word question, but the the thing that patterns could do is they could introduce, based on the difficulty of, of the words and so on, they could introduce the words sequentially, but also if you just braille a book off the shelf, there's no control over when things are introduced. Basically, you run into new words and symbols when you run into them, whereas in the pattern series, they could control when words were introduced through the vocabulary, since since they controlled the, every, the vocabulary and everything, they could control so that you didn't really encounter a braille contraction or um, short form until it had been introduced via a lesson as opposed to just running onto it someplace. So it was a more systematic, organized, I think it's still used today. I understand I'm somewhat out of the loop because I've been retired for 10 years, but Um, but those types of things were probably the major changes as I say and then you did have as you get into the 90s and 2000s uh, the uh, introduction of electronic note takers and things like that which sure like the Braille and uh, Speak and the Braille and Speak and so on and and those changed things too because it then meant that Braille wasn't. Of course, the Braille and speak technical. It's kind of misleading in 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 terms of it. Yes, it had a Braille keyboard, but it didn't have a Braille display. But but still, you did write on in Braille on it. But it was all the output was auditory through speech synthesizer. Sure. Um, but but now you know we have the all these Braille note takers and um, that are. Uh, not only have braille keyboards, some don't, some have QWERTY keyboards, but, uh, but they also have uh, braille displays. And but, of course, that means a lot of things because braille is very bulky. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, now you can put any number of books. In fact, uh, I'm, the Kentucky Talking Book Library, as well as some of the other libraries across the country are are doing a pilot study with braille e-readers, which is basically a way, a a device to read braille electronically, uh, produce braille on these displays. It's a braille display with a keyboard. And I think I was told that you could probably get the whole collection of the library on one SD card.
0: (laughs) How cool is that?
1: (laughs) um, and, And it would take, you know, maybe a whole room to store that if it were hard copy Braille, or maybe sure. multiple rooms. So, oh yeah, uh, the fact that the fact that all these things could be on a, you know, electronically uh, produced and and storage, yeah. it, it, it's changed things drastically.
0: Yes, that that definitely has uh, made a huge difference. I mean, I, 20, 30 fact, years ago,
1: <laughs> I had a I had when I was in undergraduate school. I had a, uh, not really a very good dictionary, but it was 32 volumes and took, I think it was 12 linear sh- feet of, of, of shelving space. My dad made me, and I've got it in my house here, that bookcase oh. that my dad made for me. My dad was a good, excellent carpenter. And he made me a couple of bookcases, but one of them is this, he made basically to accommodate that dictionary. 32 and it, volumes. And it accommodated <laughs> It was, No, it's thirty. I said thirty-six volumes. I should say three twelve. It's (laughs) thirty-six. I did say thirty-two, but it's thirty-six volumes.
0: Oh, gotcha. It
1: took twelve, roughly twelve linear spaces, shelf, uh, you know, feet of shelf space. And I never will forget. I walked into my. I had an English composition class at Fairmont State, and I walked in and and I teasingly said to the instructor because she was telling everybody. We're going to be doing lots of writing in this class. Please bring your dictionaries. And I said, "Do you want me to bring my dictionary?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> You'd have to make two or three, tri- well, five, four or five trips
1: <laughs> to get it all. Done. And uh, and I think this lady was somewhat acquainted. Maybe she'd had the other Braille students before. And so she actually, on days they did writing, she let me stay in my room and then bring it to her after class. That way, I could use the dictionary, although it really wasn't a. In, in the whole scheme of things, it was like it was not really even. A, it wouldn't even be qualified as a collegiate dictionary. I think that there was a, such a thing as a collegiate dictionary that I recall from someplace in my past. I'm thinking it was 72 volumes, so it probably took you know about. Well, if 36 took 12 feet, 30 uh, 72 probably took double that, 24 yeah, 24 feet. Yeah, that's that's. But they crazy. were about the same size. Like, well in the old world book encyclopedias there was a. There was a I don't know if you knew this there was a Brel edition of the world book encyclopedia back at that point back in the I, I, think, it I, in the, I think it was produced in the late 50s <clears throat> mm,
0: interesting. And as I
1: recall we had one in our library at the school for the blind as I'm assuming most did most schools probably did and that was I think it was 144 volumes so well if 36 if 36 took 12 feet Let's see
0: 144 is damn so gosh, that's like four times that if my correctly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. well thanks to thanks to the modern world of technology exactly, exactly. combine that uh, you know and access it all through a card and it's uh, exactly it's a lot simpler now my uh my teachers i never used it much but my teachers wanted me to be remotely familiar with the Slayton Stylus,
1: so they at least gave me some lessons
0: on it. Did you do anything with the Slayton Stylus?
1: As a matter of fact, that's how I started Braille. Um, oh, the Slayton Stylus, you have a Braille writer that has a keyboard. The Slayton Stylus is like a, uh, it's an a, a, a aluminum or plastic fl- frame with pins that hold the paper in place. And oh, it has little rectangular areas, we call them cells. And within each of those cells, there's six dots, and you can make all the braille letters and symbols by pressing the appropriate dots in each of those cells with a sharp pointed device called a stylus. When I started at the School for the Blind, they had, I don't know, I think they may have had two braillers on campus. Two braille Didn't have hardly any. And yeah. so all of us learned to use and did all of our homework on the slate and stylus. Also you I got think fast I was in, at it. <laughs> I did, and I, the unfortunate thing, I remember writing braille for hours and having water blisters on my fingers. Um, the the uh, school got Perkins braillers for all the students. We actually each had one on our desk. I think I was in fourth grade. It's either fourth or fifth, and I'm thinking it was fourth, but up wow. until that point, I used slate and stylus.
0: So you finally got your own Perkins braille in the exactly. fourth grade. So. Exactly.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, I was lucky enough to start with one in kindergarten. So uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, now, I, students are today. So, or, or they start with, in some instances, even electronic, uh, you know, devices. Yeah, and even braille notes and so forth <laughs> at the early ages.
0: Now, uh, I know that assisting visually impaired students in uh, realizing and reaching their potential uh, undoubtedly gave you a tremendous sense of pride. So uh, how about sharing with us um, a few of your most gratifying success
1: stories as a teacher in the Owensboro school system? Well, I've had some good, you know, I've had the whole gamut of students, uh, some, some, some who were, who were good and some who were average and some who, (laughs) you know, really weren't so good. Um, I've had, uh students involved in you know advanced placement classes and and i've had students who had i pretty well had the same types of students any teacher would encounter i mean i also had a couple of students who ended up in prison um but you you definitely had a so i've done a lot of diversity but as far as the most memorable i have one of my former students is a, a lawyer oh cool um here in, in Kentucky, but is also very gifted, and a very gifted musician, and um, lots of other nice skills as well. Okay. Um, I have an, you know, another former, uh, student, and I think he worked as a, he had some vision, and he, I think he worked in computer programming or something. I don't remember what he actually ended up doing. Interesting. And, uh, and I've had other students that, maybe not strong students, but, but, uh, but who were, you know, good average, you know, students. I'm saying they didn't take the college advanced, but yet were, you know, good average students. Several of them, I know one uh, owns a uh, lawnmower repair service. Uh, now, he has some vision.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: I know of another former student that worked in some local restaurants for a while. Again, now she had some pretty good vision, I but, but I've had, you know, students do a variety of, uh, of things. Uh, um, now the lawyer that you were talking about, was he totally blind or not? He, he is. Yes. Okay.
0: That's cool. And, um, and he's somewhere in Kentucky, you said. Correct. He is. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. I gotcha. Well, <laughs> it always makes you, makes you feel good knowing that uh, you had a hand in, <laughs> molding those people into the
1: uh one of the I things I learned that. I think through part of that process a lot of times especially on really good students I'm not so sure that it's a teacher you teach them I call it guiding them a, a good motivated student will probably be successful uh but what the teacher can you know they're, they're probably going to be successful because one they're motivated and and oftentimes they have exceptional abilities anyway, or at least you know excellent uh, abilities. And uh, I think a lot of times with those students, uh, your teacher role somewhat changes. You become more of a motivator and more of a person guiding. You know, uh, go here, see what you can find. Um, uh, you, you do a, a lot less spoon feeding, if you will, or
0: yeah you're more uh,
1: encouraging and supportive support supporting and guiding and guiding yeah um, that's the way i phrase it and in some ways i think students like that may be less challenging sometimes it's a lot more work uh, particularly if you're brailing materials for all these classes you know oh, yeah. advanced placement but sometimes and of course, I said some of these stu- students that i mentioned, former students, some of them had vision and weren't Braille users. They were large print, in some instances, regular print users with magnification. Yeah, just been the vision. And so it all depended. But I think, uh, as I say, they, they usually did pretty well. Um, but I think, uh, as I say, that's one thing that I've given considerable thought to. And... Uh, I've had a couple of real challenging, uh, students that, that, to be honest with you, um, I probably taught a couple more years cause I had a student that, uh, had some issues that were really challenging, but I found it to be really, um, interesting or, um, challenging for me to figure out how to, t- to make him be more successful. Sure. Um, and so that, became kind of my challenge, and yet uh, wasn't, you know, had lots of needs, but just, uh, it was just motivating to me because he, this individual required some additional uh, thoughts as to how you did things, and actually posed some interesting uh, challenges in getting things done, and uh, we were very, you know, very close. Teased with him a lot. He teased with me a lot. We developed what I would think, you know, what I feel was a very special relationship. But it proved to be very challenging to me, um, and uh, and kind of a, a a motivator, if you will. So yeah. So that challenge inspired you to hang on
0: for a few more years.
1: <laughs> well, so sometimes it's not even each each t- each student really presents unique challenges, and uh, sometimes those that maybe not, sometimes those challenges may that motivate you may not be from the, what may, be, may have been the, the top students, although they have challenges as well. But I have come to realize over the years that, that the students require, I think, a totally different skill set from a teacher uh, right. depending on their learning level. And sometimes it's more of a motivational guidance uh, if, if it's a really advanced student.
0: After retiring from the uh, teaching world back uh, in 2011, um, <laughs> you've been retired for 10 years. So which aspects of uh,
1: instructing visually impaired pupils do you miss most of all? Well, I don't know that, well, I miss the interaction with the students. Uh, I don't know that I really miss, I, I think I was ready to retire uh, when I retired. I've just kind of rechanneled things I do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get more involved. Uh, I've done, uh, I got, I've gotten involved with the local Lions club here. I also committed when I retired, I, I wanted to be more active uh, physically. Uh, I now walk several miles a day, uh, for a period of time, I was going to a local gym and working out, but I still keep active. I walk four or five, six miles a day. Um, uh, and do a little bit of light lifting, uh, And wow. so I've been involved with the Lions Club. Uh, and of course, we have our support group, Savvy, here in Owensboro. Sure. Uh, I helped. And, and that's been a learning experience because we we pretty well got it off the ground in I think about 2013. Mm-hmm. I knew there had been some support groups uh, prior to that, but they were no longer around. And so we... We worked with the people from the office, what was then the Office for the Blind, now the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation or Blind Services in the uh, Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. But uh, mm-hmm. we worked with uh, a couple of those people to help connect us with some families, to help get our uh, group started here in Owensboro. And and then we worked through that whole process of uh, of drafting a constitution and bylaws uh, securing, um, registering with the Secretary of State's office, uh, getting our articles of incorporation, and getting our articles of incorporation, and then subsequently filing for our 501c3 status as a nonprofit through the IRS. So, so that was a kind of a learning experience dealing with all those uh, steps as we. Yes. And time
0: consuming, no doubt. And time
1: consuming. So, (laughs) so I've actually gotten involved. And and of course that group enables me to continue to hopefully uh, be able to share information with our members. I'm no longer president. I termed out a couple of years ago, our current president, Cheryl Watts doing a, a wonderful job, but, and, uh, but I am still in a position, you know, life's been good to me. Um, right. I've been fortunate, I've had a lot of experiences, you know, going to conferences and conventions and trainings as a result of my job, my professional training. And, Absolutely. And so I've tried to create an avenue to share that, be able to share that information of course it you know the, the information obviously is different today than it was even 5 years ago oh yeah always changing It's always changing but uh it does it, it, it i guess it brings out the 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 uh, teacher in me and that i feel i'm still trying to help people and uh because i've been so fortunate um to be able to share what i think i know or what i do know in some instances uh with people to at least give them Uh, hope and give them, uh, get them started on the path to adjusting to their vision loss and so on. Exactly. Now, now when we we started our group here, there was some debate about whether we wanted to just have an Owensboro-based group or whether we wanted to affiliate with, you know, there's a couple of national organizations for, for blind people there's the NFB and ACB, and we, right. we we decided that we it would be good to affiliate with one of those uh, because there are times it's good to know and be able to make our members aware um, of things that are going on nationally. You don't want to you don't want to discover that, for example, something has been enacted into law and you not know about it until after the fact uh, because. Sure. It's good to have input into the legislative process. Uh, I mean, we do more than legislative things, but I'm just saying there was reasons we felt it was good to have some sort of a national connection, right? In addition to the trainings that are, to, you know, both both groups offer uh, trainings at their national conventions, which for the past two years have been virtual, which is kind of a interesting experience. But there's numerous trainings that you can take advantage of to learn about any topic you can imagine, whether it be managing your diabetes or dealing with macular degeneration, low vision, uh, whatever. There's there's probably some trainings out there, especially in today's environment where there's such uh, as a result of COVID. Um, oh, know, yeah. All these groups have stepped up their remote trainings and and offerings. I mean, the, the ACB, which we're a member of, has probably 90 podcasts or broadcasts a week on anything from knitting to dealing with vision loss, to technology related issues to, well, you name it. Uh, yeah. And there's, and, and there are some that are fun. So mm-hmm. they're called their community calls. And I think there are about 80 to 90 calls a week on and it just as any topic uh, you know, almost imaginable, and they change from week to week. To s- some of them are are weekly, but then there are some new ones just about every week that you know are even totally new. I, there's uh, yoga. I mean, there's just anything you can think of. So, sure. um so, but so we felt it was good to 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 uh, affiliate and have some you know national affiliation. So. Absolutely. So we can have an avenue for our people to take advantage of things, and, and but also to be able yeah. to share information.
0: Helps keep you in touch. Now, that's uh, Savvy, is support alliance for the visually impaired. That's uh, Rick support group, which I actually just uh, recently became part of. And ACB, which they're affiliated with, stands for uh, American Council for the Blind. And the Savvy meets... Uh, once a month and they have a variety of different speakers. In fact, I think I got an email from Cheryl saying that uh, next week we're going to have a a cooking discussion, aren't we?
1: Cooking discussion. The last time we talked about gardening with uh, people from the Hadley Institute. Um, We've had any number of topics over the years locally. Um, Of course, we are affiliated with the Kentucky Council and they offer programs on Friday nights uh, on what they call, well, they Up until COVID hit, they were having local uh, meetings in Louisville on every Friday night. And they were, I don't know, five or six, seven hour meetings. I mean, they would have dinner, um, have training on technology, have speakers and play games and have some nights they would do, you know, music and a whole variety of things. Now, they're not meeting with COVID. They're not meeting in person right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, either, but they've gone to Zoom, and so they're having their meetings online, which means that anybody can attend. And so they have a variety of programming, as well. But yeah, we meet on the second Tuesday from one to three, right now on Zoom. But there's a pretty good chance that within the next month or two, we will, we will uh, probably uh, resume our in-person meetings. But when we do that, uh, we have all intentions of, uh, unless there are obstacles that pop up we're not aware of right now, we will also maintain our Zoom presence for those who may not be able to be, be here physically.
0: That's awesome. So outside of Owensboro, you can still access it. And the normal meeting spot is uh, one of the Baptist churches over in Owensboro, right? No, actually,
1: that's, that's, it's actually now um, Wesleyan Heights United Methodist Church. Oh, Wesley and Hines. Um, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, for those of you, if you're, if you're dealing with vision loss and you know somebody who is, uh, don't hesitate to connect with these people. Now, uh, tell, tell these folks how they can uh, educate themselves on Savvy and learn a little more about it.
1: Well, we, we have a, a, a web page. It's uh, www.kentucky acb.org slash owensboro.savvy. And we're also on Facebook. I think it's at Owensboro. I think that's the... the, um, At Owensboro. At Owensboro, I think. Um, But you can do a search for us. Uh, We do do some posts. We haven't maybe been quite as active on Facebook recently, but we hope to pick that up. And we have been, but we don't... uh, For a period of time, we were trying to post something just about every day. And right now, we're probably not fulfilling that we do try to put up some up-to-date information or forward it on to, you know, sometimes it's not stuff we necessarily produce, but maybe something comes along, you know, somebody's a new piece of technology or whatever. And so we, you know, we try to share that <clears throat> information through the page as well. Absolutely, so lots to,
0: lots to be learned there and uh, you can join a few meetings as a guest, if you like, uh, as I did, and then you can join at any point in time, right? <laughs>
1: right <laughs> yep. and so we we can uh, we can accommodate you uh, you can call uh, Cheryl at uh, 270-686-8689 or me at 270-684-4418 uh, the Kentucky ACB line is uh, 502-895-4598 there you go. And you can uh, call that number and talk to
0: Miss Carla Rushable. That's so, <laughs> and, uh, we've had our share of chat. She's a great lady. So Rick, we've sure enjoyed having you. And uh, last but certainly not least, before we let you go, tell me what advice would you offer to blind and visually impaired individuals in uh, pursuing their dreams and goals, either within or outside the realm of education?
1: Well, I think it's important to understand that sometimes, and people don't want to hear this, but I've always f- felt that sometimes you have to go beyond the call of duty um, if you're visually impaired, and that means sometimes you may have to work that extra hour and work harder because it's important that you be able to keep up with your your colleagues, and if that means extra work, extra time, um, you you just need to put in the time sure. and usually if you put in hard hard work it pays dividends you know it uh, oh yeah maybe um, not so, as quickly
0: as you'd like but it always does right <laughs> and it,
1: it pays dividends and so work hard at whatever it is you're trying to pursue you know it may take you longer to get it done and sometimes that's frustrating and especially you think gosh they're, they're out playing soccer or tennis or whatever, and why can't I be out there? And so you just have to, uh, whatever your goal is, uh, stay focused and do your best, work your hardest, even if it's harder than everybody else to attain that goal. Because uh, as I say, it will pay dividends. It may not be readily apparent, but it will pay dividends usually.
0: Absolutely, and it all goes back to finding a way to do what you gotta do. Right. So, yes, indeed. Well, uh, Rick, you've been great. Now go enjoy your ribeye on me, will you? Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Boy, Rick Bogus is great, isn't he? Such a fountain of knowledge and quite a pleasure to talk to. I'm sure glad that he could spare me some of his time this week because he is one of the busiest retired people that I know. Now, I will link you to... The Savvy page in my show notes, it is a wonderful, wonderful support group with tremendous people. They are non-judgmental regardless of your situation. Whether you're gradually losing your vision or you've recently lost your vision, perhaps you've been without it for quite some time, or maybe you know somebody confronted with these issues. Folks, the group is here to help reach out, connect. You will not regret it. In fact, in no time flat, you will be making friends with other savvy members. So, I'm sure we'll be having Rick back here on the show before long. He is such an invaluable resource with remarkable info. He's the man, to say the least. But with that, for now, let's switch gears and get ready to have some fun in the downtown Henderson, Kentucky sun. It's a fabulous festival feature on blabbing in the Bluegrass. Well, in our very first ever festival feature, we are uh, talking about a a grand annual event that uh, is a widespread favorite, and it happens next week, downtown Henderson, June 16th through the 19th. In fact, the lunch breaks will start before then, but we'll talk about that shortly. This is in honor of... uh, a late great legend who was highly influential in the realm of blues music. We're talking, of course, about the WC Handy Blues and Barbecue Festival. And here to share with us all the fun and fascinating details is a longtime committee member of the Handy Fest. Let's welcome Mr. Doran Luck. Doran, we're super... how are you? Oh, I'm super pleased now that you're here and... uh... We are anxious to hear all about the festival, and you've been a committee member ever since the uh, Handy Fest's inception, correct?
2: Almost. Almost. Um, I did not. I, I did not belong on the committee the first year, uh, so I've done 29 of 30. You know, it depends on how you're counting. Obviously, since we had a we had a ghost year last year, right? Uh, because of COVID, but. I've been on the committee ever since then, ever ever since the first one. I've booked the music since uh, 1998. We're super glad to
0: have you on here to uh, let us know about all this fun that's going to be happening in downtown Henderson next week. But first off, Doran, the um, WC Handy Blues and Barbecue Festival, as we mentioned, it's an annual tradition dedicated to the... um, Legendary Mr. William Christopher Handy, also known as the Father of the Blues. So, if you would, sir, why don't you tell us about uh, how Mr. Handy ended up here in Henderson and living here for a decent time frame, and how he discovered his passion for the blues while living here?
2: He ended up in Henderson as a result of of a trip that he was going to make to the World's Fair in 1892 he had a band that was going to play in the world's fair
0: right
2: and they got up there they got up to uh, i guess it was chicago they got up to chicago and figured out that there wasn't going to be a world's fair no. so he had to he had to drop back and punt so they they ended up uh, his band ended up coming back to st louis mm-hmm. and he spent some time in st louis uh I'm sure you're aware that he had a song called St. Louis Blues, which is one of his most famous ones. But
0: Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. At,
2: at, at, at that time, he was on hard times. So he ended up coming back to, you know, and some people say Evansville and some people say Henderson. I think it was both. Sure. He came, he came back to Evansville so he could make a living. And he did live here for several years. Uh, he met his wife. Elizabeth Price at a barbecue in Henderson. And of course, they got married and had six children. Uh, so that's that's his connection to Henderson. It was substantial. Uh, you know, I, I've always said that, that that I'm not sure that he wrote any songs here, but I'm a hundred percent sure that his influences, that some of his influences, came from living in Henderson, uh, yeah. uh, and in Evansville, because he was. He was like a sponge. He would soak up any musical influences that, that, uh, that he heard. And when you think about Mr. Handy, you think about how rich those musical influences were. Everything from ragtime to uh, uh, field hollers, field chants, folk tunes, uh, you know, all of those things, you know, he, he, he absorbed. Specifically around the year 1902, when he took a trip through Mississippi, I would argue that if you want to call it blues influences, that, that may be that may be his most singular uh, time in terms of picking up those influences from the African-American culture.
0: Down yeah, there in Mississippi,
2: uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So a- as far as the father of the blues, I guess some would argue that, that, that he kind of promoted himself as that, but certainly uh he is one who took those influences that he heard and turned them into re- to uh written music and and music that could be replayed and re- uh so to that extent i think he is the father now
0: uh, according to the website doran the wc handy blues and barbecue festival has become one of the largest free music festivals in the nation. So talk a little bit about the history of this Splendid Sensation and uh, explain how it has become such a popular and highly successful tradition.
2: Well, the festival started uh, on the inspiration of uh, Marcia Shekels, hmm. and she went to the Florence Music Festival, obviously Mr. Mr and he was born in Florence Florence, Alabama, yep. They've had a big festival down there for years and years and years. Marsha went to that festival and came back and said I have a good idea. And obviously it turned out that she had a very good idea.
0: <laughs> yes,
2: for sure. Marsha hooked up with uh with Ken Christopher. I'm sure you know Ken Christopher. He's oh yeah, a friend of. And and of course he played in a bluegrass band along with Bobby Park and others, but she hooked up with Ken and he brought uh, to, to that idea, the ability to implement it, and, and the ability to book bands and the ability to know what to do in terms of sound and all those things. So between the two of them, uh, this, this idea was germinated and we had a festival. Now, the first, the first year of the festival, just to tell you how much things have changed, we had a single wide truck trailer down there with a stick built uh canopy built over it, and it was a very modest deal and uh I think the last band that was going to play the metropolitan blues all stars the mother of all storms came there oh, came, no. came down the river, came down the river and took care of the stage so the the, the met blues all stars didn't get to play oh, but my goodness. The, the It has morphed from that point in time, which was what ninety ninety one to to today. and obviously you know things have changed. But what a great idea, what a wonderful idea and and what a wonderful thing to have Ken and all the other volunteers I might add uh, from from day one who put in time and and love of the idea and love for the festival create this wonderful festival that we now have.
0: Indeed, it wouldn't be possible without them. We'll talk um, more about those donors and volunteers and how our listeners can get involved shortly. But uh, anyhow, as the festival has enjoyed the growth and evolution like that you were just mentioning, it has attracted patrons from various states and countries, for that matter, into downtown Henderson. So, Dorian, give us an idea, if you would, of the places from which people have traveled to soak up the sights
2: and sounds of HandyFest? Well, I think uh, Australia, Japan, uh, several European countries, obviously every state in the union, as far as we know. Uh, so we've got a worldwide presence. Uh, I know we've had some from England. So go. Austria, I think, I think. See, so, so from, you
0: know, <laughs> coast to coast, and then some. And I know uh, I talked to Nibby and Greg from El them Bed and Breakfast a few weeks ago, and they said that they have um, a number of guests that stay with them annually during Handy Fest too. So,
2: yeah, I think I saw in the in the last presentation Brian Bishop made to the Rotary that me, you can put Mexico City on there too. we had somebody from Mexico City who showed up last year.
0: Oh, cool, Mexico City. I know we've
2: had. I think, uh, Argentina or Brazil. I, I can't remember. I unfortunately can't remember the lovely lady who comes in and takes pictures from year to year. Uh, I think she was Argentinian, as I recall.
0: While we're downtown listening to this wonderful music from these fabulous musicians, we can feast on the fabulous food from a number of vendors that'll be downtown Henderson. So Doran, why don't you give us an overview of some of the, uh, food that we can sample down there and some of the vendors that'll be set up downtown
2: yeah we've really got kind of two sections one will be Wednesday night uh, with with local barbecue vendors Uh, Wednesday night will be R&L concessions uh, Tom's barbecue you probably had Tom's Up up and smoke barbecue on time barbecue and with some ice cream treats from uh our shaved ice from Cool Shaved Ice. Cool cool shake ice cream. There's the name.
0: Cool shake ice cream, gotcha.
2: <laughs> so our our Wednesday night will be pretty much local, but it, you know, that's always a crowd favorite. And and oh yeah. So we'll call that Barbecue King night if you want to. But that's Barbecue King,
0: King Night, there we go.
2: And then we've got Uh, A a number of vendors coming in who will be here after Wednesday night. Uh, Obviously, the Thursday night, as you know, is our Zydeco night when we cook all the, we being the committee, uh, through the help of Tom, cook all the food that is sold that evening. And that's a big fundraiser for us. And then Friday and Saturday, uh, you'll have on-time barbecue brisket, Acropolis, which is Greek food. Papa Bear's Catering. Now this is interesting. Papa Bear's Catering are going to cook a whole hog mm. and present that and present that at the at the festival. So you might check on Papa Bear's. That's kind of interesting.
0: That's worth uh, even just for the name, Papa Bears.
2: <laughs> no kidding, I like it. Uh, Bangkok House, which is Oriental, uh, got a shaved ice snow. The Snowy Bus, I think, is the name of it, which is kind of cool. Shaved ice, uh, Ben's Soft Pretzels. C and B fish and potatoes, which is kind of interesting. Mm. Uh, the 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 chimney truck from Takaholics, oh, awesome. Uh, Ellis, nice. Ellis' place, which is fest, you know, traditional festival food, and again the cool shack or cool shack ice cream, I should say, which will also be there for the weekend. So that that's a real good mix of different kinds of food. You you're, you're going to find something you want. Yeah, you go down, go anything there.
0: from from Greek to Mexican to. Barbecue—it'll all be there. So, there you. <laughs> if you leave hungry, it's your own fault. Now, of course, it wouldn't be Handy Fest without the highly anticipated Street Strut Parade. So, why don't you give us a feel for the uh, excitement to be experienced during the Street Strut Parade?
2: Well, it's—it's it's always been a been a popular event, and 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 I like to call it the People's Event because that's what it is it's a people's event you can dress up to the nines if you want to or dress up to the tens if you want or even the 12 whatever you want to do (laughs) whatever floats your boat (laughs) we've seen dogs we've seen everything in the festival and it's a way for people to enjoy it uh, as a part of their deal so uh, that that's going to be good as always it's just it's just a fun thing to do and Uh, You know, I think of Bill Branham and my old wall partner who, you know, I can remember him walking down the street in in pumps, you know, (laughs) pumps in a dress, and I thought, well, I guess whatever floats your boat. But he was a great man, and and he really appreciated it, really got into the spirit of it, and everybody does. I mean, it's just fun. It's fun to do it, and it's also fun to watch it.
0: Indeed. Yeah, whether you want to take part or just be a spectator. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's right. You're not going to be disappointed. Now, which night of the festival is this?
2: That's Saturday morning. Okay.
0: Morning of the 19th. So the last day of the festival will start with the street strut. And uh, you can go down there and take part in that however you wish to do so. Now, uh, no festival week would be complete without taking in the handy lunch breaks. We briefly touched on those a, a little bit ago, but those will be held at various Henderson venues and those will actually start on Monday of next week before the actual festival kicks in on Wednesday. Yeah. So um, if you would pass along their scheduled times and locations and uh, talk to us about the entertainment that'll be featured during these lunch breaks.
2: Well, I I, I I can't give you that information because I I'm not familiar enough to, to know who's where and what. But I can tell you what you need to do uh, in order to get that information. You need to you need to go to our uh, Facebook page, WC Handy Blues and Barbecue Festival Facebook page. Perfect. And those those uh, those lunch breaks are being I know for a fact that they're being put up on that on that uh, Facebook page as they, you know, as they appear. So that's the place to go. It's the best place to go uh, in order to figure that out. Perfect. I know. uh, Far better than me telling you wrong. (laughs) Hey, That's
0: that's no problem at all. Yeah, I know uh, Rock House is one of the hosts, and they're actually going to be having a a dinner break, I guess you'd call it, right before – I'll be hosting Rock House Trivia next Monday night at 7 o'clock, so a little shameless plug there. Right before I do trivia, you can come and listen to a band, and you can get your your music and your trivia on and uh, win a Rock House t-shirt and gift card as well. So you can just make that a, a big old night. That'll be Monday the 14th, so... Plan on that. Now, we uh, would be remiss if we discussed Handy Fest without speaking of the ever-popular Zydeco Night, and we briefly did a few minutes ago, but that'll take place on Thursday evening, the 17th. So give us the scoop, sir, on the uh, Zydeco Night and explain why it is among the most beloved highlights of the festival.
2: Well, I'm reasonably sure that I I'm I'm sure I can say this that I'm pretty sure that was Kenny Christopher's idea because he had the idea of of shifting the genre a little bit on the music and and also cooking the food and both of those things were a good idea Uh, I will tell you that uh, it is one of the most popular nights and it's 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 almost like a gathering night for Henderson I mean you see more people that you know uh, on thursday night than you probably do on any other night and, and it's an it, it's a night where we are the most supported i suspect by the community because of the great food and also because of these great performers sure we've been sure. blessed we've been blessed by working with chubby carrier for so many years that i can't even count them. but you're talking about a you're talking about a grammy winner uh, at a free festival in a small town in, in Kentucky, and that, that's pretty cool, and uh, Chubby always puts on a great show. Uh, he will be preceded by Dwayne Doopsy. It, it looks like Dopsy, but it isn't. It's Dwayne Doopsie Dwayne Doopsy. And the and, and Zydeco Hellraisers at 5.30. So, you know, you come out and and, and the music starts early and, and we don't go too late. We'll, we'll stop at 10 o'clock. But those are two uh, if not the best, two of the best performers in zydeco music today, and uh, what a treat! And you got great food, and, and I'm sure you've been down there to eat the food.
0: Oh uh, yeah, red beans and rice is the uh, feature menu item that
2: night. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's one of them, and it's certainly my favorite. But uh, you know, you got to have an Andouille sausage to, uh, to to go into the mix. But in any event, it it, it it's kind of it's kind of like the street strut, but it, in that it really does attract the community, I think, you know, the, the town more than, than some things would. Uh, and and that's why it's so special. It, you know, you're, you're seeing all your friends out there eating good food and listening to good music. It's hard to beat.
0: Yeah, it's good, good fellowship and good times. So check them out uh, next, at every other night for that matter, but especially on Thursday the 17th, you can uh, get your fix of Zydeco nights. Now, Henderson's Audubon Mill Park will host free live performances Wednesday through Friday evenings and all day entertainment on Saturday the 19th. Of course, that'll. I'll start with the uh, street strut on Saturday morning. But although the marvelous musicians scheduled are uh, too numerous to mention, tell us about the frequent fan favorites who are returning, along with maybe some of the new faces that are making their Handy Fest debut this year.
2: Yeah, the the music starts at 3 o'clock on uh, Wednesday and runs to, we'll say, 10.30 on Wednesday night. Right. starts at 5 30 on uh thursday and runs till 10 o'clock and then noon let's say at noon to eleven thirty on friday and saturday uh a, a, as far as the old favorites i mean you've got chubby carrier and dwayne dupsey obviously
0: oh yeah uh, the the Zodico night standards
2: yeah we we've got uh on friday you've got mississippi heat a chicago band that's been there several times really a quality solid band that I, I love you've got joe lewis walker who is also a grammy nominee at four o'clock on friday afternoon uh, and i'm giving you the ones who've been there before uh, right walter trout who is headlining headlining at uh, 10 o'clock on saturday night um has been there before samantha fish a big draw and and a real get for the festival this year. We're really excited. She starts at eight o'clock, and then six o'clock is Tommy Castro and the Painkillers out of the West Coast. They've been oh, there gosh. before. And then at four o'clock, you got Rick Estern and the Nightcats, who used to be Little Charlie and the Nightcats, kind of a jump blues band. Uh, so those are your, uh, your your if you want to call them repeats. It's been a while since we've had. Right, it's been,
0: been so long, a lot of people probably haven't seen them. So it'll be, it'll be the first time for a, a fair number to, to experience those
2: musicians, no doubt. And, and then you've got Wednesday night is a very exciting night because you've got Kara uh, uh, Granger. She's an Australian, now lives in Nashville at, at, uh, at 5 o'clock. And then you've got a very, very interesting band at 7 o'clock, the Ghost Town Blues Band. Ghost Town uh,
0: Blues Band.
2: Really, they're out of Memphis, and and they're they're eclectic. I mean, they're all over the map on what they play. I mean, it, I've seen them come into the to the park, literally come into the park in order to play on a stage, uh, doing Dixieland stuff when the Saints go marching in, where they're playing the horns and climbing up there. So, they're not to be missed. You've got a young man, uh, Chris Stone Kingfish Ingram, who is the future of the blues, not not the only one, obviously, but one no. of the future of the blues, a, a young man who is a superb guitar player and singer and songwriter uh, who has, uh, you know, he he has the mantle of the, of the next generation. So we're real excited about having that. And then uh, a, a band called Larkin Poe on Friday night. Larkin Poe? Larkin Poe is... It's the Lavelle sisters who used to be uh, kind of a more bluegrassy and more Americana. They used to be on a different circuit, but they have shifted gears, and, and and so they're really really interesting. And and we really hit a nerve with that because the younger generation almost universally knows who Larkin Poe is.
0: And no doubt. That, that
2: that that's a real get for the festival. It, it, it's it's. We worked hard in, in getting them to come to the festival, and, and we're very excited about that. Uh, you've got Mr. Sip, who who is has been here one time before, a real showman. He comes in at 6 o'clock on Friday night, and then uh, a fellow named uh, uh, Eric Gales, who comes in at 10 o'clock on Friday night. And Eric Gales is arguably the best guitar player there is right now out there in terms uh-huh. of... That'll be
0: some good picking.
2: <laughs> it, that it, it will indeed, will indeed. And then on Saturday, you know, starting out on Saturday at noon, you've got our, uh, you've got uh, Dwayne Burnside. He, his father was R.L. Burnside, who's a very famous North Mississippi hill country blues man. Uh, and uh, he's he's a great performer. You've got Amanda Fish, who is Samantha Fish's sister. Oh, gotcha. Amanda playing at two o'clock. And uh, so we've got we've got a uh, more new acts than we've had in the past. I'm, I'm real excited about that because I like to present new music to uh, to our crowd and and put things up there that they haven't heard before. So we're looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, I give them a nice mix, and you can catch both of the Fish Sisters, Samantha and Amanda. And regardless of what style you like, and uh, you know whether it's modern or more traditional, you're gonna find Something designed with you in mind at Handy Fest, Wednesday through Saturday, the 16th through the 19th, and uh, you won't want to miss it. Now, uh, last but not least, it goes without saying that um, this one-of-a-kind free festival wouldn't be possible without a number of generous sponsors, donors, and volunteers assisting this effort. So, uh, Dorian, talk about how we can contribute our time and resources in support of Handy HandyFest?
2: Yeah, you, you can do it two ways. Uh, f- first and foremost, uh, money is the lifeblood of this festival. That, that's no secret and and I will tell you that the, the budget for this festival has gone up dramatically as the years go by. Uh, obviously that's inevitable for two reasons. One, the stature stature of our acts has increased. I mean, we've really put some fine performers up there, and we are really well known for doing that. Uh, so we'll talk about the money first. Y- you know, go to your website and and go to your your Facebook page and, and and seek out those sponsors and find out who they are. And if you know them, please thank them uh, exactly. because without without that uh, direct support we we couldn't get it done it's just that simple right so we, we've been very lucky you know uh, by having these uh, sponsors come on and and that has enabled us to I, I will argue go up the next level you know I'm not sure that we'll, we'll ever be able to do more than we're doing now in terms of of uh, you know, the quality of the music and, 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 and staging and all that, because those costs really do go up exponentially. But That's I can tell cool. you that we're in a very, very comfortable place. And, and we are known, this festival, we've gotten more buzz this year than I can ever remember in terms of the lineup. We've, we've, we've ticked a lot of boxes and, and hit a lot of nerves out there with this festival. You're always looking for uh, volunteers too, correct? Well, you you segued into my next, my my next, uh, my next lecture. Okay. The, the, the lifeblood of this festival is also volunteers. And I I don't think it's any secret. If you've seen any of us Sam. I don't think it's any secret. None of us are getting any younger. And, (laughs) And we are always in need and always welcome volunteers to come on to the, uh, to the festival committee. It's, Without volunteers, you know, it's, it's kind of like the spot, the, the direct sponsors without volunteers, this festival absolutely could not happen. Nope. So if you see somebody with a volunteer shirt on, you know, I'm not sure you ought to put, put your arm around them during the during COVID, but <laughs>
0: maybe not,
2: <laughs> but certainly please, you know, if you have any interest at all, come, come join the committee. I mean, there's, there's there's things that you can do to help and uh you've seen it you know exactly what I'm talking about it it there's a lot of people out there working uh to make this thing look easy you know and and it really does run smoothly and it it's pretty seamless when you're looking at it from the other side of the fence from where I am back there where the music is but sure that's as a result of volunteers who who work really hard to make this thing work, and it's all out of love for the festival. Could
0: have said it better myself. So, uh, seek out somebody with a volunteer shirt. I'm sure they can always find something for you to do, and and uh, better yet, join the committee, and they'll
2: get you involved. Yeah, yeah we'll find we'll find. Two or three things for you. That's yeah, at least. <laughs> I don't doubt it, and most likely more. Well,
0: Doran, you've been great. We sure appreciate your time it out of your busy schedule to join us today. Now, uh, one final thought. Um, in 30 seconds or less, explain why the WC Handy Blues and Barbecue Festival is our direct connection to good times, good tunes, and good
2: treats. Well, I think we've talked about all of those, <laughs> but, but but let let's talk about the most important one. It's a, it's free.
0: Yes, if, <laughs> if, all, if all you, caps in those in those letters. Yes.
2: I'm, I, I mean, a music festival of this quality being free, especially when it's put on, you know, in a small town in Kentucky, is darned impressive. And uh, That uh, having a free festival ensures that anybody who wants to come in there and listen to music can do so, and I think that's really important. Absolutely, (laughs) as important as anything we do.
0: Handyblues.org is your website. You can also check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and find out all that's going on with relation to the WC Handy. Blues and Barbecue Fest, the 16th through the 19th, next Wednesday through Saturday, right here in beautiful downtown Henderson. Well, uh, Doran, thank you so much again. And um, we'll, we'll talk about future handy fests and who knows, maybe a bunch of other things too. Being
2: an attorney, you could talk about a lot of things. So. Well, I thank, I thank you for what you're doing. I, 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 I reviewed some of those podcasts and I really enjoyed them. So good job on your part. Well, I appreciate that, Dort. You're a kind man indeed,
0: and we'll talk again sooner than later. All right, sir. You want to know something? This is a Bob Barker kind of festival, because the price is most certainly right. It will not cost you one thin dime, and you can bank on a big time. You can bank on beautiful weather, because I'm the ultimate optimist, and you can bank on splendid sweets and salties to satisfy your hearty appetites all in one locale you can't beat it mark your calendars wc handy blues and barbecue festival wednesday through saturday of next week june 16th through the 19th head on down there and uh meet my man doran luck also meet mc steve gold and all the rest of the committee members thank them for what they're doing also thank the other volunteers for that matter for uh, their generous assistance and participation in Handy Fest. I'm going to be there as well. You can bet on that. I would love nothing more than to meet you. And we're just going to keep a smile on our face and enjoy each and every minute of this festive time of the year. We sure thank Doran Luck for joining us today. Before that, it was quite an enjoyable chat that I had with Rick Boggus the second half of our chat. And he is an exceptional educator indeed. I encourage you, if you've not already heard it, to uh, go back to last week's episode and catch the first portion of our visit. You will get some uh, fascinating background information on this fascinating individual. And if you'd like to nominate an exceptional educator like Rick Boggess, or if you'd like to let me know about a festival happening in the state this summer or fall, any other suggestions you may have for the program, you know how to do it. It's bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com or the Blabbin' in the Bluegrass Facebook page, which is waiting for you to like it, follow it, send me a message, make comments on posts. You can uh, catch previous episodes and uh, enjoy updates as they are presented to keep you uh, filled in throughout the week. And I would love nothing more than for you to be a part of the Blabbin' in the Bluegrass Facebook family. So, fun show, guys and gals. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Before we wrap it up, I have the answer for this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster, and would you believe that the Commonwealth is home to the world's largest free-swinging bell? Your job was to name this free-swinging bell and identify the community in which it is located. Your answer? Part one, it is the World Peace Bell. The World Peace Bell, it weighs a whopping 66,000 pounds. It is 12 feet in diameter and 12 feet high. Now where is it? Newport! Newport KY, just over the river from Cincinnati, and uh, this bell swings and rings each day at noon. You can hear it and you can see it in Newport. So, make that a part of your Northern Kentucky plans. Next time you venture that away, you won't be disappointed. I can promise you. Another Bluegrass Brain Buster coming your way next week, as well as more insightful conversation about the great state that we call home, or maybe you're a Kentuckian at heart, and uh, maybe you're just looking for vacation destinations that are right up your sleeve. So either way, we're here to cater, we're here to serve, and we want you back here next week. But between now and then, you know your assignment. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and please keep blabbing in the bluegrass. Because we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, because we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey Cools your palate just a black bean in the bluegrass With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste